Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on. All right, all right, all right. Um, we got a great message for you today. Uh, it is called The God Who Breaks Cycles. The God Who Breaks Cycles. We're in a series called This Is Our God. Started in the book of Genesis. We're going all the way to the very end, all six, six books. And so now we're in Judges. Ooh, the book of Judges. I hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Uh, 21 chapters, despicable people doing deplorable things. Like the worst people. Like not kind of bad. Like this book is, like don't let your kids read Judges, okay? Like unless like you are with them and you're gonna explain what is happening because there is murder, there is killing, there is things I don't even want to say right now. It is, it's the worst book. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, and I, I can't just because you got, why in the world is this book in the Bible? And the same answer can be said is why I get to go to heaven. Why in the world do I get to go to heaven? Because the reality is, is the book of Judges is God's long suffering, his mercy, his commitment to people who never want to change. So there's this rhythm in the uh, book of Judges. I, mean, I can just give you some context before I go in my message. Uh, 21 chapters, it's 350 years span. Uh, you have uh, basically Moses and Joshua, and then in between Saul and David, you have this 350 year span of judges that basically don't think of a judge with a gavel and a gown. Think of more like a general or a chieftain. Uh, the word judge actually means deliverer. So think of uh, 12 tribes that have tribal leaders. Uh, they did not have a king at this time. And so a different person from different tribes, God would call on them and have them rise up and deliver them from whoever was uh, dominating them or oppressing them. And so there's 12 uh, that we'll, we'll see in the book of Judges. Uh, and not only that, in the book of Judges, there's this rhythm uh, in Judges. Basically, uh, the people rebel from God. That's one of the things. And then what happens when you rebel from God? They suffer the consequences. Uh, and then when they suffer the consequences, they cry out to God. Oh, God. And then when they cry out to God, God, of course, hears their cry, and then he delivers them. They do that over and over again for 350 years. 350 years, they never learn from the cycle that sin will steal and destroy. And so... For me, I look at this book and I'm like, Lord, how can I preach a redemptive message to us today? And why did you put this in, in, your, in, your, uh, in your beautiful word, all six of books? And I think the reason why is he wanted to show us hope that he's always committed to any day you cry out, that he's re ready to break the cycle in your life. You maybe have lived in the last 20 years, uh, this weird cycle where you just live for yourself and you get hurt and you pray to God and then he fixes it, but then you get hurt again and then you, 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 and he fixes it and you keep living for yourself. Well, I'm praying today that we actually have some change today. Does that sound good? Yeah. I, uh, I got to be with one of my best buddies, uh, childhood best friend, Andrew Gard, uh, last week in Florida. And uh, Andrew, I knew him before he got saved. We got to talk to the interns and the interns were asking, what was Drew like before he got saved? And I was like, he was the book of judges. <laughs> he was terrible. He was despicable and doing deplorable things. Uh, Drew and I, like, you know, uh, we even shared the interns, you know, when we were in high school, we would, you know, go uh, home for lunch and he would, um, uh, you know, um, have some, some weed and he would poke some, a hole in a can and start smoking weed. And uh, I never smoked weed, uh, not because I was righteous, but because I was asthmatic and uh, I could only hit my inhaler, uh, not uh, the weed. And so uh, just being honest. And so um, sometimes God uses your weakness to protect you from the bad stuff. Okay. Um, and, uh, and Drew's dad, uh, when he was a young kid, uh, left him and was raised by a single mom and had a really hard life growing up. 
Uh, we both had hard lives, um, but if we were comparing, I think Drew's life was harder than mine. Um, and uh, Drew got saved at 16, and I got to hang out with him for a week. And he's got two little kids now. He's pastoring a great church, a oh, vibrant church in Lakeland, Florida. He's a great husband, married 17 years. And we started talking about our family before us. And Drew's the first person in his family line to break the cycle to break the cycle of abandoning kids, to break the cycle of alcoholism and drugs, to break the cycle of hopping from one life to another. Uh, he is planted and he is building. He's the first person in his family line for the last, I don't know how many years, to say, I'm going to live differently. I'm gonna live not for myself, but live for God. And it just stirred me up. You could be that person for your family. You could say, I'm gonna break the cycle. You guys wanna pray? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the 9 a.m. service. Come on, Lord. The early ones, the ones that said, I want to give you my first of my day. Come on now, Lord. And so, Lord, the ones that came to give you their time today, uh, Lord, that put you first, Lord, may you bless them. But most of all, Lord, may we be ready to hear from the one that sits on the throne. May we be ready to be directed from you. May we be ready to respond to you. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. And everybody said? So why in the world, for 350 years, did the people in the book of Judges uh, always stay in this cycle? I have an answer. You ready? Here's one of the biggest reasons why. I believe they were remorseful, but they were not repentant. And I, I think that in our world today, we got a lot of remorseful Christians, and that's why you're staying in your cycles, but not a lot of repentant Christians. Let me double down on this. I love that uh, my double down is now becoming a trademark. I'm going to double down on it. Okay, here we go now. Um, so um, remorseful people, uh, when they mess up, here's what happens. Oh, my gosh, Lord, ah, please help me. And if I can just be honest, remorseful people, it's very me-centric. Lord, I don't like the pain that my sin caused me. I don't like the uh, consequences of it. So you pray for the pain to be removed and the consequences to be moved, and it's all about you. Repentant people, oh, they, they weep over their sin, not because it only hurt them, because it hurt God and it hurt people. They won't want pain removed. They want the pattern removed. Come on now. Remorseful people just want the pain removed, but repentant people want the pattern removed. God, whatever this pattern is in my life, whatever this is that is in my life that makes me hurt people, that makes me hurt you, and steal from the fulfillment of my life, can you remove that pattern from my life? Because repentance is really just a pivot. You know what a pivot is? Boop. It's just like this. You just got to pivot, okay? A lot of Christians don't know what pivots are, okay? A lot of Christians, uh, I call it, uh, they're pirouette Christians, Okay. Uh, can I use the story, Lisa? You said I can use the story? Okay, sweet. So uh, I just thought it was the most adorable story. Uh, so uh, their basketball coach was teaching uh, young Grayson how to play basketball this week uh, at the basketball place right across from us. And so they taught the kids to pivot. Okay, you're going to catch the ball, you're going to pivot, and you're going to shoot, okay? And so uh, they tell Grayson, pivot and catch it and shoot. So Grayson gets the ball and he goes, <laughs> and catches it. Like, oh, he said pivot. And he's like, I did it. I pivoted. <laughs> no, you did a pirouette. And he's like, I don't know. And so then coach tells me, hey, I want you to pivot. There's another spin. Pass it to him. Goes, All right, you can just keep on pirouetting. Okay, just keep on walking by. The reality is, is that I think a lot of Christians do a lot of pirouettes. I'm all better, God. Like, you're looking at the same sin. You're looking at the same life. And, and, and it's adorable when a little kid's doing a basketball, but it's devastating when adults are doing it with their life and their marriage. And so God's saying, I want you to uh, pivot, not pirouette. I want you to turn from things and start walking to new things. The book of Judges was a bunch of pirouetters. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how did they get there? Because one is like, how did you walk down that path? Because if I'm being honest, I think it's very easy to live a sinful life. I think it's actually really easy. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. I think it's uh, almost convenient to live a sinful life. 
but it's devastating. I don't want to tell you that sins like this. All of us in this room have sins that we enjoy right now. It's the reality though. But if you allow that sin to actually keep going, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. It says, God will not permit you to succeed at sin. Eventually that sin will come back and it will destroy because God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with this world. Oh, and he's a jealous God because he wants his kids to succeed and not be destroyed. So I got three points. It's actually going to be a quicker one today. I know I say that, but I'm actually going to be quicker today because I got communion. Um, here we go. Um, was there anything else I want to share with you about the things? Uh, conquest, compromise. Oh, I didn't share this. It's kind of important. Uh, Judges is three parts. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 is conquest. It's the victory. And then the, the middle of uh, uh, Judges 33 through 16 is compromise. You just see compromise and compromise. And then after compromise, the last four chapters of Judges is chaos. And so really, if I could just be honest, the conquest is salvation moment. But then they, they get saved and they get put in the promised land. And instead of actually fulfilling what God asked them to fulfill, they start compromising and giving up parts of the land to the enemy because they just don't feel like fighting anymore. They don't, they don't feel like it's worth the fight. And so they compromise parts of the land. Because they compromise, it eventually ends the chaos uh, in, in their world. And if I could be honest, you start compromising, you'll start to have a life of chaos. And so don't compromise the things of God. Uh, so that was another thing I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, I said judges uh, is rated R in my notes. Okay, anyways, here we go. Um, <laughs> So how did we get here? I think sometimes you gotta ask yourself that. When your marriage is on the rocks, when it has hit the bottom of the barrel, you have to look back, how did we get here so we never get here again? When you're in a life of chaos and maybe even addiction, how did I get here? Was it one click at looking at something? Was it one drink here? Was it one bad season where you didn't call somebody for help and you went to a, a, a thing and a substance instead of a small group and a support group of people? How did I get here? Did I isolate myself? Did I, did I hide things instead of expose things that should be exposed? How did I get here? And so the, the people of Israel, there's a handful of reasons how they got to this moment of where it is the darkest book in all the Old Testament, if you ask me, because uh, there really isn't a lot of praying. You know the only time they pray in the book of Judges? Is when they need help. Woo, don't be that Christian. The only time prayers are said is when they need help. Not when they just want to talk to God, not when they just want to praise God, but only when they're having a bad day. It's a bad cycle. So first thing, the first reason why they got there is they had no king. Let me read you a verse, Judges 17, 6. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Uh, you ever, uh, it's an old show, uh, but remember the show, Who's the Boss? Yeah. Who's the Boss? And, and the reality is, is that uh, I think all of us at our homes could have that own TV show. And every day, I think that the reality, if you look at your own life, that you have to answer the question, who is the boss of my life? Because the reason why the Israelites were in such chaos and compromise is it said they had no king, they had tribes, there was, there was a theocracy going on, different teaching for a different day, but basically that means God and there's judges, but yeah, that, we'll teach that in Samuel. But there was a theocracy, there was no king, so instead of having an authority in their life, they just did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And can I be honest, don't you feel like that's what we're doing right now in our culture? Yes. Whatever just seems right in our own eyes, we just do. Yeah. And do you guys feel like it's a little bit of chaos? It's a little bit? <laughs> Man, if you want your life to actually be pointed, because the only way you repent is not whatever seems right where you look. It's actually when you turn your life to the king and say, I'll follow you wherever you want me to follow you. Yeah. There's just something about that kind of thing. You have to have a king. So first thing, they didn't have a king. Second thing is this, the half-hearted obedience. There's half-hearted disciples. Uh, when God comes back and he meets you, he's not going to say, well done, good and talented uh, servant. Well done, good and high capacity servant. Well done, hilarious servant. It's going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Something about being faithful. That's what God's going to say. Let me, let me read you Judges 1. So after the death of Joshua, uh, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? Uh, Canaanites. The Lord answered, Judah, for I've given them victory over the land. The men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join with us to fight against the Canaanites, the Canaanites excuse me, living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help your, you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. Right there, God says, I want Judah to go. I'm going to give you all the land. First thing Judah does is goes and gets another group to go fight with him. Half-hearted following. God gives them instructions. They add to it. Can I tell you one of the interesting things? There's two ways that you will uh, disobey God. You will either do Jesus plus something or minus something from Jesus. So Jesus says, do this, and I'm going I'm to add a plus here. I know I, know I don't, uh, you didn't tell me to add this, but I'm going to add this to my life anyways. And so they add another group to it. It goes on. Uh, what happens is basically they do uh, find victory, but they in- decide not to actually drive everybody out of the land. Here's what happens. The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. If you look at the context, the Hebrew to the English, it's basically said uh, that they felt like they couldn't drive out the people in the iron chariots. They didn't have chariots, so they didn't want to try to drive out the chariots. Is there anything in your life you just don't feel like you can drive it out? I don't even want to try it. It just seems too big. That's what, what this was for them. Let's keep going. Um, the town of Hebron was given to Caleb and Moses uh, had promised, and Caleb drove out the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Anak. The tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. Stop. If I had time, I would read you Judges all one and Judges 2. Because basically, Judges 1 is God saying, I want you to go take all the land. Now, if you haven't been with us for the last um, uh, part of the series, basically the promised land is not heaven, it is your spiritual inheritance. And so your spiritual inheritance is, if I could even make it, give you a geographical spot, it's your heart. That right here, your inheritance that this thing would be vibrant and whole and not broken, it would love well, it would receive well, it would enjoy things well, that this thing would be uh, what it's supposed to be, that God would be at the center of it. And when your heart is good, then relationships are great. When your heart is good, you love your job. When your heart is good, you're actually living the life you're supposed to. This right here would not have things in it that shouldn't be in it. So this is the inheritance of our life, that our heart would be restored, made new, and be made whole. So, so anyways, uh, they, they basically say, hey, we, we don't know if we can uh, uh, do this, Lord. We, we can't do it. We can't, we can't drive out the Jebusites. We can't drive out the Canaanites. You go to Judges 2, and the Lord addresses their can't. And he says, no, it's not that you can't. It's you won't. Your half-hearted discipleship has given you slippery words to use can't with me, but really your heart is saying you won't. Let me, let me uh, show you what that looks like today. Uh, so there's this, well, I can't drive out the Canaanites, and the Lord's like, no, 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 you just won't drive them out. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with each other. You tell me can't, but really it's just you won't do it. Um, us sometimes will say, God, I can't forgive that person. And God goes, no, 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 you just won't forgive that person. And so therefore there's something in your heart that needs to be driven out. I, God, I just, I can't serve. No, it's not that you can't serve. You won't serve. God, I can't actually make time for you. No, it's not I can't make time for you for me. You won't make time for me. Half-hearted disciples have a very slippery language. And it's a very slippery thing that happens in the church. If I could be honest, one of the hardest things to do as a pastor in America is to preach a message and make sure that you don't leave beat down. Because you're beat down everywhere else. And so I just, I feel this pressure to make sure that you leave encouraged and ready to conquer the day. But can I tell you something real quick? If you're somebody who is a half-hearted disciple, I will fail you and you will live a half-hearted life. People who have little gods become little Christians. People who follow God halfway don't even get any of the inheritance of what they're supposed to have. My heart for you, if you could hear me today real quick, is start, stop saying can't and start saying, God, why won't I do this? 
Why won't I restructure my life? It's not, the words are, oh, the, the, the heart is deceitful among all things. Be careful, watch out for the can't, because it's not a can, it's a won't. So that's another way they got there, okay? Is this encouraging or what? I told you, least favorite book, okay? I didn't hide it, I'm like, oh, you guys are gonna be encouraged today. Um, uh, the third reason why is, uh, another reason uh, why they got there is they forgot who saved them. They forgot, let me read you a verse, Judges 2. After the generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. So a generation grew up not knowing God. And again, if you have a half-hearted generation on the generation before, the next generation is going to have no heart. It's interesting, when parents kind of love God, their kids barely love God. But when parents really love God, the kids kind of love God. They got a shot at least, you know what I'm saying? And so there's just something about it. There's just something about when we say, I'm all in. So... The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the image of Baal. They abandoned the Lord and the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. So it's interesting. A lot of times when people have what I call a purpose problem or a sinning problem, it's because they have a remembering problem. A lot of people are like, why, why, why do I have a purpose problem? Why do I have a growth? Why am I not becoming what God wants me to be? Why am I struggling so much with sin? Can I tell you real quick? It's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's not because you're not doing it enough. It's because you're not remembering enough. I'll prove it to you. Let me show you in 2 Peter 1. So it says right there that they forgot, and so therefore they lived and worshiped Baal. Let me, let me remind you some things today. 2 Peter 1. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! So the more you grow like this, man, there are useful Christians, and they're attending Christians. That's what it shows right there. Not me, that's the Bible. Uh, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. Here we go, why? why? So those who fail to develop this way, why is it? They're short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. It says, uh, the reason why they failed to develop this way is because they didn't try hard enough. No, it says, the reason why they failed to develop this way is because they forgot. They got a remembering problem. Peter doubles down on this. Let me keep reading. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you already knew them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught, and it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Stop. I was a youth pastor for nine years. Nine years, and one of the things that drove me nuts the most is when a really kind, sweet girl would date the worst dude at the high school. Oh, I hated it. Oh, I drove me nuts. I, I, they, they didn't like come to youth group once in a while. I knew this guy was just a tool shed, worst intentions. You know, I, I, I would change my message just to make sure he would change in the name of Jesus, okay? And so I tried to figure out how in the world do I get these girls to stop dating guys like that and stealing from the promise? I had, I had a younger sister, same thing. So I remember I started reading books, started studying. I was like, how do I, how do I make sure that girls don't date losers? I was a youth pastor. And I started realizing when I read every book, it was the dad's job to make sure their daughter knew that they were valuable, precious, and I'll give you his word, that they were a princess. And that they only deserved a guy that would treat them that way. And as I would read books like that, the reality is, is that fathers would forget to remind their daughters of their value and their worth. And so as a youth pastor, I committed for the nine years of my life, I will remind every young girl of her worth. I would, I would tell them all the time, I said, hey, you better make sure he's treating you like, uh, like a princess. And again, they're like, Tyler, said, princess is a weird word. When you're pastor junior high, they love it. So back off, okay? <laughs> and so, 
And so, uh, I mean, I would go off on it. I would have, I would have like little small group times with girls and, and we'd break up and the guys over there, I, we'd have, you know, pastor time where I, I talked to the fellas and I taught the fellas about how to honor and how to live a life. And then I'd go to the girls and say, hey, the one thing you remember is that you're too good for all the guys. The only thing you remember is that God knitted you and literally you, the Bible says you are a princess and he is king. And if a guy doesn't treat you that way, he is not the guy. I went, I went hard to the paint for a few years. And what was so sweet, it was the only time I actually saw fruit with girls saying, knows the guy that they would usually date because they, no, he's, he's not good enough, Tyler. He's treating me terribly. The things you said I deserve, I wasn't getting them. And so I would remind young girls of what they deserved in a future husband, not just some high school boyfriend. It was interesting. The only thing that worked was me reminding that. Can I remind you real quick, adult, that you deserve more for your life than what the world's giving you? Yeah. The world is a high school boyfriend that just steals from you. <laughs> The world is the tool shed. Oh, you didn't see that coming. You didn't see it coming. Okay, let me keep going, let me keep going. We, we allow the world to exploit us and take from us, make promises to us, oh, if you give me this, I'll give you that, but they never ever, the world never gives you in return what you give back. And so if I could just remind you, the only one that you're built for, the only one you're knitted for is the one that sits on the throne. He will satisfy, he will restore, he will keep all his promises, he will pour out what he promises if you will just worship him and worship him alone. Do not forget. There's something about being reminded. I'm gonna remind you for the rest of your days. So that's how we got here. Some of you forgot how valuable you were, how valuable your time is. You think your time's... Oh, is the world? No, your time is so valuable because it's God's time and he wants time with you. So how do we get out of here? How do we get out of a bad cycle? How do we get out of a judges type season? How do we do it? Um, any doomsday preppers in the house? My people. <laughs> this is be like, maybe. <laughs> I just need to know if we have an earthquake where I need to go hang out for a few months, okay? You know, uh, now we got, you know, nuclear war talk, which is like another level. Like, anyways, I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> So Rachel and I, all honesty, we are 50% doomsday preppers. Uh, how do you know you're a doomsday prepper? You've bought 25-year shelf life food, okay? Anybody bought 25-year shelf life food? We have. Hundreds of dollars on 25-year shelf life food, okay? Um, how else do you know you're a doomsday prepper? You do it every few years because you forget like, what you, where all the stuff is. You know what I'm saying? So Rachel, like, where's all of our like, emergency back? We just moved, like, where's our emergency, emergency stuff? Like, I think it's over here. We might have thrown some of it away. So the other day I was reading an article that we're on one of the biggest faults, you know, uh, in the U.S. and an earthquake could happen anytime. And all it is is clickbait, you know, people always click on like the scary stuff. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, there's gonna be an earthquake in California, click. Um, <laughs> and so I send it to Rachel and I just say, hey, we gotta prepare our emergency, um, uh, you know, doomsday uh, kit. And Rachel's response to me is, you don't gotta ask me twice. Um, <laughs> And I remember I was driving to work after I sent it to her to go to prayer because I'm such a trusting and faithful and fearless Christian. Um, and I'm driving to team prayer. And I was like, I don't need, a, I don't need actually a uh, prepared kit. I'll just leave. Like if there's an earthquake here, it's not like there's an earthquake in North Dakota, you know? And so I was like, I'll get in my car and I'll leave. And, and I never have had a moment where I feel like the Lord pressed on my heart in two seconds with a thought. And I started praying on the way here. And can I just tell you something real quick? Uh, God does not give us an evacuation plan when it becomes the book of Judges. He gives us an incarnation plan. And the church has almost tried to evacuate from the world 
And our doomsday prepping looks a little different from the world, but, but we've tried to almost hide from the world and not deal with the world and to say, if we can just move over here and have all the people who are acting like chaos over there, then everything's fine. But the only way we actually get out of this is actually if we go out there. It's actually, we actually see ourselves as not people who have an evacuation plan, but God has actually given us the purpose to be the ones who incarnate. We are now little shepherds. We are now little Christ, and we're supposed to go out there and bring the kingdom of God and transform the world. Okay, so, so let me uh, read you a story. It's the story of Gideon. Who wants to hear the story of Gideon? It gets good now. It's not going to be too bad. It's going to be happy time. Are you ready? Um, Judges 6, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel, the Israelites had made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. I don't know about you, but you read the book Judges, your theology will go right there. The Israelites did even the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Lord hand, delivered them to the... The more and more that you try to say, I want sin, the Bible says God will release you to it. And so you just got to be ready. If you, want, if you want a life of destruction, God goes, okay, I guess you have to taste destruction before you want me. So he releases them to destruction. So what happens, basically, is whenever the Israelites planted their crops, uh, the marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the East World uh, would attack Israel, camping the land and destroying the crops as far as away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemies' hordes coming with all the livestock uh, tents uh, were as thick as the locusts. They arrived on droves, the camels too numerous to count, and they stayed in the land and stripped the bear. So Israel was reduced to starvation by minutes. The Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Stop. The first way you get out. The first way, we got to give the Israelites some credit here in verse 6. And let me just show you the picture real quick. They are in the land of uh, where it flows milk and honey, where the grapes are the size of watermelons. They're now in that land. Oh, it's good to be in a land like that. Can we get an amen for that? The problem is, is that when their crops are coming up, the enemy comes and just takes them every time. Can you imagine every year working and laboring for something, and then it actually produces something, and the enemy says, yep, I'll take that now. Thank you very much. Year after year, they would, um, harvest, uh, they, would, um, they would labor, and they would work, and they would farm, and then the enemy would take. It'd be like almost being in a marriage, and you labor all year for your marriage. And at the end of the year, you still have this nothing left. But you labored. The reality is you've allowed enemy in the camp to steal while you're laboring. And so what's happening here is uh, they are now crying out, saying, God, we've allowed things to be in our home. We've allowed things to be in our heart that shouldn't be in our heart. Offenses, anger, addiction, lust, other things are in our heart, and we need you to come remove them. So they cry out to God. They don't cry out for removal. They're crying out with remorse, but they cry out. So the first thing you got to do is you got to start praying. Everybody say, start praying. You got to start doing something. You know, there's just something interesting about when you sit there and do the same thing forever. It's interesting. Uh, I forget how it said this. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. And so Rachel and I, I remember the first thing that uh, we felt like we were being robbed, we bought a Jeep Liberty, okay? Um, and we loved Jeeps. I had a Jeep Wrangler, I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee, we loved Jeeps. But we had a Jeep Liberty. And this Jeep Liberty was out of one out of 20 on the list, it was ranked 20th on all the cars that you could buy in midsize SUVs. Rachel really wanted it. I sent her all the research. I said, babe, look, it's ranked 20th. She goes, I don't care, I still want it. And so I'm a great husband, we go and buy it, okay? And so we buy the Jeep Liberty, we move up here, and I never liked it from the beginning, but we would drive, and we were filling this thing up like twice a week, and Rachel finally looked at me, she goes, tell her, I think people are siphoning gas out of our car. Like, You're adorable. Yes, yes, yes. There is uh, a thief in our midst, and he comes to our car, our Jeep Liberty, every few days and takes gas out of it. And we like bought it and we had payments. And I remember looking at this car and I was just, God, what do I do? I made a mistake. We should have never bought this car. And I was like, I know what I can do. 
I could just sell it. And like, it was one of those moments where like, I felt like I was going to have to drive the car for five years, so we did a five-year you know, payment, you're only two years in. I was like, I'm taking this baby to GMC today, and I'm getting a great gas uh, mile thing at some, some dealership. And I remember getting this thing, and I had no idea where I was taking it, but I was like, I'm taking you to the car lot, and you ain't never stealing from us again. <laughs> and I remember driving it to the GMC dealership, trading it in, and buying another car. And if I could share this picture with you, I hope you could share it is a lot of people make one bad decision and think they have to live with it forever and make another bad decision and try to cover the other bad decision. The reality is when you make a bad decision, God always gives you an out to return whatever you bought. And, and so the, 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 the Israelites had bought into a life that they shouldn't have bought into, something that was stealing, and they finally cried out and said, can you please, we, we bought the wrong thing, it's stealing from us, will you take it from us? And here's what's so good about God. He hears a cry, and of course, here's what happens. When they cried the Lord of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord of the God of Israel says, I brought you out of uh, slavery in Egypt. I rescued from the Egyptians and from the, all, all I oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and uh, gave you their land. I told you, I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Opa, which belonged to Joash. Gibeon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Stop. So they cry out. God responds. He says, hey, I've told you, and you, I told you not to buy it, but you bought it. Told you not to live the way you did, but hey, I love you. I'm committed. I'm going to do something. I'm long-suffering. I'm merciful God. It's the gospel. So he comes and finds Gideon. Gideon is in a wine press. He's in a, basically in a hole. And if you know anything about threshing wheat, you thresh wheat on a hill, and you toss it up so the wind blows the bad stuff and the good stuff drops. You don't thresh wheat inside of a little hole and it barely works. It doesn't even work. But Gideon being so cowardly is so afraid to thresh his wheat out and about because he's afraid of the, um, the Midianites. He th he's threshing a, 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 a cellar press. Can I tell you something real quick? I'm going to talk about uh, Gideon and I'm going to talk about Samson today. If there was a Christian committee, no committee would pick Gideon or Samson to be the deliverers in the book of Judges. Nobody would pick Gideon the coward. Can I be honest? Gideon is a coward and Samson is selfish. But God picks them. Can I just, just get ready. If you're, if you're a fearful person, God still might pick you. If you're a selfish person, God still might pick you. Can I give you a big thought of my message today real quick? The, the, the big thought is this. is Some of you, the weak in the room today, you're going to have to learn how to be strong because that's Gideon. He's the weak one that learns how to be strong. Some of you are kind of Samson in the house. Some of you are strong. You need to learn how to be weak. Some of you who think, if so, if you're a weak person in the house, this message can be for you. If you're a strong person in the house, this message is for you. And so he comes to Gideon, hiding the thing. And so my sec second point is some of this. Get ready to be used if you want to actually get out of here. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I like that. He's acting like a coward, looks like a coward, smells like a coward, working like a coward, hiding like a coward. And God says, mighty hero. Wow. You're living like a sinner, loving like a sinner, using people like a sinner, and God calls you a saint. There's just something to be said about what God calls you because he's not the God who points to what you are. He always points to where you can be. Yeah. And so, so God comes to Gideon and says, hey, what's up, my mighty hero? And, and, and I, love, I, love, I love Gideon's response because the reality is this. The uh, reason why he calls him mighty hero is there's this verse in, uh, in Luke 33. It says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. Basically, Gideon is the lamp hiding and nobody can see. He goes, I need to light you up. I need you to use your life to light up. So he goes on to say this. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? I love this. Uh, Gideon goes, hey, uh, where's our Moses, God? Uh, you, I, I, know, I know some of the stories. We're in uh, a bondage. Where's our Joshua? Where's our Moses? 
And I love what God says. You're my new Moses. You're my new Joshua, okay? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength you have and rescue Adam from the Midnights. I am sending you. It's interesting. Um, I, I love uh, what he goes, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my entire family. Stop. <laughs> so uh, catch this real quick. Uh, been pastor church for four years now, but I've been in ministry for 19 years. And a lot of us start as Gideon. We start as what I call the idea guy. And what we happens, happens a lot of churches, we have people come up to us all the time and go, hey, uh, we should go to the city and we should feed the poor. And my response all the time is, yes, we should. I am sending you. And like, oh, no, not, I can't do it. I got time. <laughs> Our church should have it, though. And you, you should do it. And then when I come to church, I'll see the video of it. And you did a good job. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Thank you, idea guy. Okay, I'll put that on my calendar. All right, good idea. No, but it's like, you know what we should have here? Over and over again, people always say we should do this and should do this. And the answer, we, we, all of our staff does it. And we're like, yeah, that's why God sent you. We should have a ministry that does this in our city. That's why God sent you. Yeah. We should have a ministry that God sent you. If you actually want to get this city out of it, you want to get the Bay Area out of it, stop becoming the idea guy and start becoming the one that says, God, you're sending me. Wow. There's just something about that type of person not passing the buck to the church and contracting out their own calling, but saying, I'm actually going to say yes to my calling. Okay, so I love it because Gideon goes, hey, where's the, I want to, I know all the famous stories, God. I know about Moses and the Red Sea. What, what about, what, what are you doing here? What's funny is Gideon has no idea he's going to live one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. Gideon in the 300. Some of you have no idea what kind of story God's going to write in your life. Some of you have no idea how big this story God wants to write in your life if you would just trust him. So the second one is start, start getting ready to be used. Uh, and if I could just be honest, uh, I love Gideon's uh, response of why I can't do it. He says, I'm the weakest and the least in my clan. So when I ask people, hey, all right, God's sending you. Here's how they tell me they're the weakest in their clan and the, and the, and the, and the um, least. Uh, or th I call these the weak excuses of why they can't uh, change the world. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. My schedule is too weak. So you may not say, Gideon, I'm too weak, God. You tell God, my schedule is too weak. I don't have a strong schedule to give you, God, to actually change the world. Another way that we act like getting is this. I don't have anything to offer. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough, God. My, my, my testimony's too weak to actually be used to change somebody's life. Can I tell you something real quick? If you've been following God for three weeks, you've been following God for three weeks longer than somebody who has never been following God. If you've been following God for five years, because the only way you can lead people to God are people who are actually following God. And so your, your story that you think is too weak, trust me, it's strong enough to be used by God. Another one is this, is I don't know where to start. Like, I don't even know where to go, go God. So your, your vision is too weak. Oh, that's why you got pastors. Well, we, we, we definitely have a place for you here to help and to start. Uh, kids ministry is the name, okay? Hello. Um, you want some welcome team? We got some welcome team for you. You got some worship team? We'll have you try out. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's keep going. Sorry. So um, step three, we're almost done. Uh, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bowl from your father's herd, the one in the seven uh, years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bowl as a burnt offering on the altar, using it as fuel as wood, Asherah pole you cut down. Stop. So Gideon says, all right, I will do it, God. I, I will be your guy. And he goes, I want you to go home. And there's a couple idols, Baal and Ashtoreth. I want you to tear them down and I want you to use them actually to burn and build an altar up. It's a weird moment here, and if you don't really read enough of it or just st stew on it, you don't really know what God's doing. But what God's doing right now is saying, Gideon, all right, I've called you, and for you to actually be a deliverer, for you to be a leader, what I need you to do real quick is I need you to start 
practicing on how to be a Christian instead of just professing on how to be a Christian. So he says, I need to start practicing, not just professing. So how does he tell him? He goes, I want you to practice at home. I want you to go home and give me the best bowl. I want you to give me the best of you. And I want you to give me the best of your home. And I want you to actually sacrifice something to me. I want you to worship me. And before you go out and change the world, I need to change your home. And it's interesting. I know a lot of professing Christians, but I don't know a lot of practicing Christians. And so if God actually is going to use you to change the world, you need to start practicing the things of God, not just professing the things of God. Uh, you, you can say, I love, I love people. Actually start practicing on loving people. You know, oh, God is so important to me. Actually practice actually God actually being important in your life. It's amazing. Once you practice, then God will give you a mouth to profess. If you don't look different from the world, people will never listen to you. Start practicing the things of God. So, so step three is start practicing, not just professing. Now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish with this. So Gideon, if you know the story, uh, he ends up uh, getting 20-something thousand soldiers together. And as he gets 20,000 soldiers together, God whittles it down to 10,000. Uh, he says, hey, whoever's afraid, let them go. So, you know, 12,000 leave, 10,000 left. Then he has whoever drinks uh, a certain way, and we could go into the nitty-gritty of why some people drink this way and were they alert, and that's why God kept them. But it, it whittles down to 300. And the question you have to ask yourself is not the method of what God is whittling down, but why he's whittling down. And, and the thing that you land on when you really figure out why he's whittling down it to 300 is he's trying to take Gideon and not show Gideon how strong he is. He's trying to show Gideon how strong God is. And for us to change the world, the weak must become strong. But the weak becomes strong, not when God shows you how strong you are, but it's when he shows you how strong he is. And so God goes, I got it, I got it, I got to pare it down to 300. So when you have victory, you don't think any of it was your own strength. When you, when you actually get the victory, you realize I did all the work, I did all the heavy lifting because there's gonna be another battle and you'll start fighting battles on your own. But if you always fight battles with me, you'll always be strong. And so to the weak ones in the house, to the ones that feel weak in the house, allow God to show you his strength this next season. Allow God to allow you to walk forward in things that you never thought you could walk forward in and to taste victory. And the, the last part, I wanna to touch on Samson for just a second. Is, and I just write this real quick. So the, the big thought is that the, the weak must become strong and the strong must become weak. Because it doesn't matter how weak you are if you know who, how, uh, who makes you strong. It doesn't matter how weak you are, but if you know who gives you strength. But the flip side with Samson, if I could just finish with this thought, it doesn't matter how strong you are if you never deal with your weakness. And so some of you, you're pretty strong in the house. You're fine. I don't need God is what would be the thing. Oh, I don't need any more of God in my life. I'm fine where I'm at. That would be a Samson type statement. I'm good. And the reality is, is Samson was so strong that for a while in his life that his strength could get him by. But the reality is he had this one weakness and it was lust. And so he was strong everywhere else, but one weakness, lust, and it ended up costing him his life. So you could be charismatic, you could be wise, you could be kind, you could be a hard worker, but if you never dealt with one weakness, the reality is, is that it doesn't matter how strong you are if you don't deal with this weakness. And so I want to give you this simple thought in a culture that I feel like is full of Samson's. The first 11 judges, uh, Israel cried out to be saved. God, would you save us? Would you save us? Oh, we hate it, we hate it. The 12th judge, Samson, Israel, Israel didn't cry out to be saved anymore. They actually liked their life now. They were assimilating with the Philistines. 
uh, if I could put it this way, uh, this is one of the most pivotal moments uh, in Israel's history. If God does not intervene, Israel will be no more. We don't think about the book of Judges as this, oh my gosh, book moment. But the reality is, is if God doesn't intervene with the Philistines and Samson, the Israelites would have intermarried and Israel would have been gone and the seed of Jesus and the promises would not have been fulfilled. So God says, I'm going to intervene even though you don't want a savior. I'm going to stir your life up even though you think things are fine. And I think a lot of us relate with this way more than we relate with Gideon. And some of you, your life, you walked in, your life has been stirred up a little bit and you don't like how it's been stirred up. Can I, can I show you five pivotal signs that you may be living like Samson that you need to be watching out for that, wow, I am, I've gotten too accustomed to living in the world's way instead of God's ways. Here's five things that happened in Samson's day uh, that I want you to be uh, uh, wary of. Pivotal things that you should uh, be wary of. First one's this, is Samson fell in love with what he was called to defeat. If you know the story, Samson, he's born to his parents, he's in Nazarite vows, and his purpose is to defeat the Philistines. And so uh, he goes and uh, he's hanging out one day and just, you know, doing whatever. And he sees a Philistine uh, girl and he falls in love with her. And now he's never even really met her. He's fallen in lust with her. Let's just put it that way. Comes back to his parents, I wanna marry her. Parents are like, there's a bunch of great girls who love the Lord, why won't you marry them? Mom, dad, I don't care, I'm marrying her. So right at that moment, Samson has fallen in love with, with what he was supposed to defeat. Some of you have fallen in love with things that you were called to defeat. Fallen in love with comfort, fallen in love with a career that became an idol. You are falling in love with stuff that God's called you actually to defeat, but you've actually fallen in love with it. The second thing, be, be careful of this one, is you do whatever you want. You do whatever you want. I said this a little earlier, but in the book of Acts, they did whatever was needed. In the book of Judges, they did whatever they wanted. So for 350 years, they lived in a life of just of convenience, not obedience. You gotta ask yourself, am I living a life of convenience or a life of obedience? Third thing is this, is he lost his vision. So as you live a life in, with Philistines, it's not gonna go well. Actually, Samson gets captured, they pluck his eyes out. He literally loses his vision. I think one of the things that happens in church today in the world today is when people lose their vision of why they're alive, the vision of why God knitted them, the vision of uh, their value. Uh, some of you, I, I, love, I loved Mike T's illustration. I, I, was, I don't even have to touch on this anymore. God wants to renew your vision. He don't wanna give you glasses. He wants to give you new eyes. Come on now. Uh, fourth one is you start feeding what you're called to fight. Uh, if you know anything about, once you get in bondage, so Samson's captured, they literally put an oxen thing on him and they have him till the fields and feed the enemy. Some of you are feeding what God's called you to fight. When you get in bondage, you start feeding the things you should be fighting. And the fifth one I thought was fascinating was simply this and I shared it earlier, so you only pray when bad stuff happens. Man, can I just encourage you? Pray in the morning, pray in the evening, pray in your car, pray before your meals, pray with people, and start seeing what happens with your life. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.